This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. And we welcome you to this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Lopez here. Jeff, unfortunately, in the hospital. We are glad to report he's doing better. But it is this is the 2021 UCF season, Drew, where everybody's banged up. Oh, man, everyone's injured, going down or something. So, I mean, Jeff's just another one on a long list yeah. of UCF guys that have been put on the shelf. It's been that type of year. Of course, that's Drew Glukoff filling in, rightfully so, ready to go. We're going to talk about UCF's game, upcoming game against Memphis. I'm going to ask Drew his thoughts. We're at the halfway point, believe it or not, of the football season. We know what the negatives are, <laughs> but what are some of the positives he sees and, and things he's looking forward to the second half of the season? We'll talk about that, and we're going to be talking more about the Memphis game with our guest, Memphis Spence, will join us later on the program, plus the Olympics, why UCF Volleyball is winning and yet dropping in the RPI. We'll explain all that coming up on this edition of the Black and Go Better at Podcast. Of course, you could follow us. Make sure you subscribe on our YouTube page and like us there uh, at Black and Go Banneret. We have constant interviews and vi- audio video content there. We also, of course, blackandgobanneret.com. You got UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter as well as on Facebook. All right. Not a moment uh, too soon. Let's uh, begin here, Drew. Obviously, we all know what happened at Cincinnati. Cincinnati wiped out UCF 56 to 21. Uh, you and I, alongside Bryson Turner, we spent an hour and 45 minutes, I couldn't believe it, on Night Shift, breaking that game down, among other stuff. Uh, you can watch that episode right now, by the way, on our YouTube page, as well as on blackandgobanneret.com. So we're not going to get into that game. Everybody else is talking about it. We know what went wrong. Anybody that's listening right now, watch the game. They know what went wrong. I want to you know go- went right? You know what went right? What no went material right. injuries. There you go. There's a positive from the Cincinnati game. So this team is three and three now going into this home game against Memphis, Drew. I kind of want to do some quick blitzes here. Halfway point. Injuries is obviously the biggest disappointment for this season. Injuries. That's going to be the definition of this 2021 UCF football season. Other than injuries, what has been your biggest disappointment so far in this team? Six games my disappointment is is more for the seniors that that either have are in their last eligibility or use their extra year. Uh, it's disappointing for them because this was supposed to be their last two raw, and it's really gone up in smoke. Uh, uh, disappointment in players that have left the program either near the season starting or, or since the season has started. Obviously, everyone has a reason, everyone has a story, and you always wish them luck. But it's disappointing. Uh, you you have a plan. And you don't want to see that plan go south, which is kind of what we did. And the other disappointing part is uh, you, you look at you look at the, the fan base and, and you, un, you got to understand where they're coming from. They're very upset. They had high expectations and, and they've been kind of taken for a wild ride, you know, just because of things have gone wrong. And, and that pain and frustration and anger is kind of going all over the place. And, you know, unfortunately, it's got to go somewhere. And you, you, you don't want it to be there because these players are trying hard. Uh, on the plus side, no one's quit. Uh, you know, they're, they're still trying. Even, you know, quarterback goes down, 
freshman quarterback Mikey King comes in, no quit. You know, makes a mistake, comes back out the next drive, tries again. Uh, there is no quit on this team. You know, Isaiah Bowser comes back last week. He's obviously still not 100%. No quit. He was, he got hit a number of times, got, you know, driven back, you know, zero yard game, maybe one yard game, got back up next play. That's a winning mentality. And, and the results will eventually show up. But, you know, the fans have, a, have a, an expectation. It's not being met. And a, a lot of, you know, the coaches, they're, they're getting the, the brunt of it. And, and as they should, because they're the ones who make the big bucks. But and the truth is, you need horses to win the race. And a lot of your, your, your best guys, your best, you know, your best talent is out and you have a lot of inexperience. If there should be any anger and frustration vented, it should be towards the prior coaching staff that kind of set this up. There was no depth coming into 2021 in a number of key positions. And unfortunately, those key positions, guys got hurt. And we're seeing the results of that. That's not a current staff uh, caused issue. They're just kind of rolling with it because what else are you going to do? That's a prior staff issue that allowed it to happen. So I, I, I mean, I understand everyone's disappointment. I'm disappointed. You're disappointed. Uh, Jeff's disappointed. Yeah, he's literally in the hospital. That's how he's disappointed in the hospital. he is. He's so disappointed. It's either that or Aaron Boone getting an extension from the Yankees. I don't. I haven't been able to figure that out yet. Um, all right, let's be a little positive. What has been some positives you've liked so far from the first half of the season? I know the injuries have derailed a lot of stuff, but there are some positives, no, that you've seen, you've liked? Oh, yes. Uh, as I said before, there's been no quit. There's been no quit. The defensive backfield, which has been much maligned from 2020 into 2021, especially when you lose – you know, Aaron Robinson and Richie Grant um, to the draft, and then Tay Gowan, who opted out also to the draft. Uh, you're seeing better results as the season has worn off. The last two weeks against two quarterbacks that could generate a lot of yards, they've held them in check. Holton Aylers held in check. Desmond Ritter held in check. It wasn't the defensive backfield and their passing defense that's, that's really hurt the team. It's been the a run defense from you know key injuries on the defensive line that's really really hitting hard. So uh, that's something I'm very pleased with. Um, you're seeing depth in the running back game and development. Now you don't have a bruiser because Bowser was out for a while and you saw the results. Defenses didn't respect the run. It took some time to adjust things. Johnny Richardson starting to make more bigger plays. You saw Trillian Coles come back from an Achilles injury that kept him out of all last year, scored a touchdown, was able to celebrate with his family on that one. Uh, Mark Anthony Richards coming back from injury, scores a winning touchdown against East Carolina. His mom was there to see that. Those are feel-good moments. And then add that with the our time season uh, on ESPN Plus that, you know, this is the third season of that show. They could have picked other schools. They picked UCF. And I have to say, the struggling season has turned out, in my opinion, to be better for content than one that they would just be walking over teams. You're seeing a lot more of the raw emotion that comes from defeat and having to bring players back up, maintain their confidence. 
and and roll with the punches that come from injuries. I the the episode last week with with Kalia Davis, you know, getting you know being hurt in the locker room and that raw emotion that came out, that was probably my favorite part of the whole series, other than hearing me be you. <laughs> you sounded great. Yeah, I never sounded better. Uh, never sounded better. I will look forward to the next episode. All right, let's get into the the Memphis game. Uh, Memphis four and three on the season. They kind of been up and down a little bit. A dynamic offense. They got a new quarterback. Good running game. Uh, they opened the season. They beat Nichols. They beat Arkansas State in Arkansas State in a shootout, 55-50. Beat Mississippi State at home, 31-29. You're thinking, wow, this could be a good year. Then they lose to UTSA, lose at Temple. That's the one that I think if you're a Memphis fan, you're disappointed. Lost at Tulsa, beat Memphis recently. Your thoughts here on this game here as you'll be covering it. Well, I mean, we know losing at Tulsa is nothing new. I mean, uh, as, as UCF fans, we know all about losing at Tulsa and games that you probably should have won. But, you know, this is a Memphis team that's still kind of figuring itself out. It has great offense. I and mean, you talk about uh, Seth Hennigan, over 2,100 yards passing. I mean, that's huge. Brandon Thomas, over 600 yards rushing. And, and you have uh, a pair of receivers. Yeah, you know, uh, Calvin Austin, who, who's the top target, over 850 yards receiving. And Sean Dykes, who's been there since, you know, uh, the dinosaurs ruled and roamed the earth. Still there. <laughs> I mean, I, I think his 2016 was his first season at Memphis, and he's still there. But he's second in the team in receiving. Uh, this is this, you know, with a freshman quarterback, as we know. Things sometimes don't quite go the way you want and, and when you want. And I think that's what happened with Memphis. All, th- all three of those losses were single-score losses. It, you know, the ball bounces a different way. They win all those games. Uh, granted, if you take away their first game against Nichols and the last game against Navy, every game they've played has been a single-score game. So I, they play a lot of close games, either up to your competition or down to your competition. And I, I think this UCF one has a chance of being a similar one. Uh, their weaknesses are UCF's strength. You know, you talk about, you know, the run defense. They can give up yards. UCF's strength is in the run game. If Bowser is still playing, which as far as I know, he's going to be <coughs> ready to go and even better than last week, along with the speed of Richardson, you've got a great thunder and lightning combination that's going to be uh, a lot for a defense to try to contain. You know, it. The key is the less Mikey Keene has to carry the team, the better off the team will be. You know, they go down quick against Cincinnati. Uh, there's they're really not – and you're just completely outclassed basically everywhere on the field. There, there's really not much you can do. You go through – you're going through the motions. You're making sure your developmental plan stays on track. You don't panic. You don't, you don't have to really deviate because this game was already over. The game was over when it was 14 now. And I think that actually benefits them. You know, they played conservative close to the vest because this is when UCF's second half season really gets going. You're right. Uh, you're right. I think this is, and I, I think the Memphis's defense has struggled. Uh, now you say that, you know, Mikey King to protect him, but, you know, Memphis has struggled against the pass. I do wonder, now they're giving up an average of 3.7 yards per carry defensively Memphis is. But, you know, they're giving up a chunk of yardage passing-wise. Uh, you know, like they're averaging giving up 
a total of uh, seven yards per pass, uh, 10 yards per catch, oh, nearly 278 yards passing. They've given up 16 touchdown passes. Could I mean, th- at some point, don't we got to see more from Mikey Keene here from a long-term standpoint that he can throw the football against a, a Memphis defense that's a little suspect against the pass? Well, I mean, it comes down to building confidence. And it was hard last week. You're playing against arguably one of the best secondaries in the country with perhaps the best corner in the country in, in Sauce Gardner. Uh, it really limits what you can do. So a lot of people, a lot of fans – uh, have vented frustrations that there's a lot of short passes going on, but I, I can tell you, they're not always all running short routes. There's guys running short, medium, and long routes. The quarterback is making the choice to throw to the short man. It, this is a confidence thing. He, you know, it's about building chemistry. Uh, his best, his, his best two passes. He had one uh, on a, on a wheel route to, to Johnny Richardson that they tried two weeks ago. Richardson dropped it. This week, he caught it. It was right on the money. That's chemistry and timing. You have to understand the speed of your receiver that you're, you're leading towards. Uh, there are times where he throws behind his receiver and it became an interception. That's where he doesn't have the chemistry down with his receivers, partly why he's sticking to shorter stuff. Uh, the pass to Nate Craig Myers was a great one that, that skirted the sideline. However, based on the fact that Keen rolled out to the left, and Craig Myers recognized it and took his route from cutting to the right back to the left, allowed him to separate from the defender. It wasn't a covered pass. He really, you know, Keen really tries to avoid uh, throwing in the traffic. And, and part of that is a confidence thing. Part of that is a chemistry thing. And it just takes time and exposure. But I, I can tell you, the coaches know more than we do. They see them how they practice. And they're practicing, you know, you practice at 80%, you play at 100%, you know, especially on defense, because you're not trying to hurt your own guys. But you know, if you're struggling in practice on middle and deep third passing, I can understand why you're going to be settling for shorter routes uh, in game time. And in the end, it's the quarterback who's making the choice. So uh, it's not necessarily the play calling as much as it's it's just the confidence in in Keen, and you, you just have to keep building that up, and that takes time. Obviously, defensively, they're going to have their hands full. Seth Hennigan, interestingly, Hennigan and Mikey Keen, same uh, class. I believe, I believe I read where one of them was ranked 68th as far as quarterback ranking and the recruiting. The other one was 70. Hennigan, obviously, has uh, thrown off to a good start, 2,153 yards passing, 16 touchdowns on the season. Calvin Austin, dynamic receiver he'll be in the nfl 857 yards eight touchdowns sean dykes who we all know very too well 441 yards on 27 receptions five touchdowns austin has 50 receptions offense uh, to lead the team and then of course they always have a great running game and another great running back brandon thomas seems to be the next guy 655 yards seven touchdowns what's the key here for travis williams and his defense here to be have some success against this potent memphis offense well, I mean, you know, you just look, all you got to do is look at Hennigan and 2,100 plus yards. Like passing defense is going to have to make, uh, definitely going to have to have another great game. And if the last two are any indication, granted, you know, Ehlers and, and Ritter have not thrown as far as Hennigan has. Uh, this is an offense that could put a lot of yards on the board, but they don't score as many points as they do relative to the amount of offense they have out there. 
They, they, they averaged 39, 35.9 points a game, which you would think with a quarterback that's just throwing the ball absolutely everywhere and a running back that's averaging six yards of carrying, uh, you know, is well over 600 yards on the season, you would have more points on the board. So it uh, looks like they have a little bit of trouble finishing drives and, you know, they do have a, a turnover issue. Uh, you know, their offense averages 1.6 a game. They, they definitely have, uh, they don't have as many takeaways. So they definitely are on the wrong side of the turnover ratio. They got to exploit those mistakes. Uh, UCF has to create and exploit mistakes. And, and you can do that with, with uh, a freshman quarterback. It's only thrown four picks, but you know, fumbles, they happen. They, they average at least one fumble uh, lost a game and, and you gotta, you gotta create that and take advantage of it. Should be an interesting one. Friday night ESPN two is the net where the game will be broadcast. It's probably gonna be the last good TV time slot UCF has for a while, maybe the whole year. <laughs> Cause folks, uh, you're going to probably have a lot of noon games and probably some ESPN plus games coming up. In fact, that temple game in a couple weeks will be on ESPN plus. Uh, what is, you know, let's do this. What do you think is a reasonable uh, expectation as far as how final win-loss record for this team, not counting the bowl game, if they make a bowl game? Uh, I think they'll make a bowl game. I think the most likely record will either be 8-4 and four or 7-5. and five. You know, They're currently 3-3. Three and three. Uh, I don't expect them to beat SMU. Every other game is winnable, but I think they're going to stumble at one point somewhere. Uh, but they have UConn and South Florida at the back end the season. I think both of those are very winnable games. Temple and Tulane, very winnable games. And Memphis, uh, which I think is going to be the the toughest team they play the remainder of the season uh, out of those five. And if they can if they can hit the ground running and and really really set some positive momentum against the Tigers, I think it really helps them set up the, the rest of the way. I agree. This is why I think this is a big game from that standpoint. And I've said that even for the last couple of weeks, this is the game we're going to learn a lot about this team. Is this team on the going to finish strong on a positive note? Gus has talked about that even in his post game against Cincinnati and even his media availability, or does this team struggle against Memphis? And now you're thinking, man, this could be a struggle here down the stretch here, the second half. Uh, I'm very interested to see how they come out. I have two words for you though, Drew, why I'm very optimistic about this game. You know what the game. No, although that's, that's your two words. two words. No, oh, that's sorry, your that two words. That was my two words. Yeah, those are your two words. You and everybody else all excited about the space game. Space two, game! Uh, by the way, I believe they're doing auctions for that. Uh, are they? Did I just see that right in my inbox? They, they have, but every year they they open it up at $1,000. And, and as much as I love to invest in, in my closet, uh, I don't invest that much on a singular piece. Now, there's a few thousand dollars worth of investments in there. Uh, but not on a single piece. So uh, you're definitely not going to get me on that. But, you know, uh, I'm patient. Well, the, 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 the jerseys you're mentioning, the space jerseys they'll be wearing this Friday will be for auction the following week. However, no helmets will be included in the auction this year. I wonder if they're going to give the helmets to the people whose names are on it, because that would be really cool. That I don't know. I can tell you that the set will include the jersey and the pants from the Mission V space game, uh, as well as authentic space helmet decals. Uh, so there you go. So uh, you'll, you'll get more information out on that. So uh, what what do you grade this jersey? Real quick, and I, I don't want, you know, because uh, we got Memphis Spence coming up here to talk more about this game. But give me your grade on the uh, space the uh, space jersey, uh, UCF in space game 
deal. Well, outside of the first one, uh, they they've hit a home run on all of these. I mean, I they're they're all good in different ways. Uh, like 2019 had the best helmet by far. I think 2018 was the best package, top to bottom. Uh, I put 2021 uh, second on that. Uh, I find the 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 more white look very clean, and I think the creativity they put in with the numbers uh, being the you know for the the different space shuttle missions and having the names of all the uh, UCF alums that had something to do with the with NASA, I think is the coolest aspect of this whole uniform. Uh, that that took a lot of deep thought and going outside of the box and doing something just really, really cool. And, and I think that sets this aside from, you know, 2020 or 20 uh, or, or, you know, 2019s, because while 2019 had this hand painted moon helmet, which I think was supposed to be used for 2018, but it took too long. Uh, they, you know, obviously this didn't require that, but but this was something unique. And, and you can't, you can replicate a moon helmet, but you're not going to replicate having those people on that helmet. That's a unique UCF thing that can't be taken away. You can put someone else's name on it, but it's not going to be those people. And I think that sets it aside uh, ahead of especially 2020 on, on the coolness factor of, of, of the overall uniform. But I find it to be a very clean look. Uh, I, I think they're embracing the Citronaut aspect a little bit more. Shout out J.P. Gilbert, the uh, president of the Citronaut fan club there. Oh, uh, president, secretary, and and <laughs> any other, and, and member at large. I mean, he he runs that place like no one's business. But let's be honest, <laughs> they're not going to change from the Knights to the Citronauts. By the way, J.P., though, for the record, Drew, I'm, as we're recording, is wearing a Citronaut hat. So. I am wearing a Citronaut hat. I, I I happen to love the combination uh, of the Canaveral blue and black, but I just don't see it replacing the black and gold, nor do I see Nitro being replaced by a giant orange for the head. Okay. I I, uh, I want to get to something that JP brought up because Jeff was taking questions from the hospital on social media, which I don't know. He was bored. What do you expect? He had nothing to do. You know, whatever. All right. We'll get to the subject they got into real quick. But I, the two words I was thinking uh, from my standpoint, Roy Philpott. Roy Philpott will be calling the game on ESPN2 with Andre Ware and Paul Kerkateri. He's filling in for uh, – Jason Benetti, who is filling in for Joe Testator this weekend, who's calling boxing. Why I bring up Roy Philpott? UCF's never lost a football game that Roy Philpott has called. Oh, there's a fun fact. Huh? Huh? Don't you feel good? Yeah. So that'll be the game on Friday night, ESPN2. All right, real quick before we go uh, to Memphis Best, because we're going to touch on this with Mr. Spence, who's not real happy about this. But some uh, reports that the American is going to expand. They're basically raiding Conference USA. Uh, They will be taking Florida Atlantic, North Texas, Charlotte, UAB, UTSA, who's ranked. Who Go figure. Uh, And Charlotte. Now, J.P. Gilbert got into it with you and uh, Jeff. I would say get into it. That that's not that's not fair to either him or us. It wasn't getting into well, it. He, he, he asked a fair question. He asked yeah. a fair question. 
Um, obviously, a lot of UCF fans are not fans of Mike Oresco. And he's at the I, president of that, and he's I, and look. I gave a major thumbs down on this on this real. You and I talked right about this on social media, so let's. I want to touch on this quick because I will touch on this later in the show because I think this has a major impact on men's soccer programs, UCF, and I'll explain why later. However, let's just keep it to the present. Uh, explain for those you don't like this because what? Well. And and this, but we'll touch on where you you kind of gave a really good point on this. Yeah, they didn't go after the best teams. They went didn't go after brands. They went after markets. Right. Uh, the only best brand that they really pulled in was UAB, who had the complete package. They have a market Birmingham, which since UAB lost their football program and then brought it back, the amount of support that the city of Birmingham now puts behind UAB has ju- jumped uh, astronomically. Uh, the it doesn't hurt that the board of regents has been exposed for the corrupt SOBs that they are and don't meddle in UAB's business anymore. They have a brand new stadium. Uh, they've had passed the test. They've been the the class, the best overall football team in Conference USA on an average base since 2013 when when the realignment took place. Granted, they they lost their program for a couple of years, came back. And they've been on fire since. Uh, then you look at a couple of the other programs. FAU, I think, is a, is a potential base one. It replaces UCF. I think it was a smart pick. It was one of the top ones that I had marked down. The X Factor one was really UTSA. And I didn't think too much of, of bringing them in originally, but some people made a very valid point. San Antonio likes the Roadrunners. You know, there's a market there. there there's not much competition. And there's there's room to grow there's some upside there what i don't like is the rest of the moves uh i think unt is kind of a 50 50 they they, they've put into facilities that had past success but they really haven't done too much as of late and then charlotte and rice i this turned it from okay i give it a a c to like a d i mean you know this is a waste of space i mean you don't bring in these guys unless your corporate overlords tell you to do it, which is what happened. I would have looked at if, if, you know, all things being equal, you know, a team like coastal Carolina or Appalachian state or Louisiana should have gotten very heavy consideration. They should have gone after them. But as, as you made a very valid point, they went where ESPN wasn't. That's correct. And that's the biggest key. I think people kind of forget on this. Like I actually don't disagree with you about going into the Sun Belt, if this was all, you know, forget TV partnerships and all that, I actually agree with you. I think there are some things they could have gotten from the Sun Belt. I think you could have plucked from the Sun Belt. I'm shocked they're going six. I thought four would be good enough. Six surprises me. I think they're afraid of losing more teams. I agree. Well, and it could be the team that we're playing this week too. But I but look, ESPN owns the rights to the our broadcast partners with the Sun Belt. They're doing very well from a TV number standpoint and from a streaming standpoint on ESPN Plus, which is very important in all this. Very important. And UCF is clear, and, and ESPN is trying to try to get as much property for ESPN Plus. So what you're going to do? You're not going to weaken a property that you already have. What you're going to do? You're not having to pay for. Exactly. You already have. Right. You've got a good deal with the Sunbelt. And I would argue they have a good deal with the American. And so what you do is you go after a league that you don't have. And what you don't have is conference USA. Look, they try to get the Mountain West. Didn't work out. The Mountain West schools decided to stay. 
So the next option was CUSA. I don't think that's an accident. And if you look at what Pete Thamel wrote for Yahoo, the current members of the American under this deal is going to keep their $7 million a year pay. It's going to be the new members they're going to get shortcut in the in the media future, which is normal, by the way. We're going to get shortcut in the Big 12 when we join in the first, first couple years. years. Yeah, right. First couple years until that new so, contract kicks in. I honestly believe that some bill was never an option. It's one of those don't touch because that's a pro that's or it's like your family members. And so they raided the conference USA. They wanted to poke this just absolutely annihilate conference USA. They have done that. And and, and it was about the you know pre preventing those Texas schools from going to the Mountain West because it, it they did say North Texas and and a couple others, I think Rice was one of them, uh, did reach out. Yes. I agree. So I think there's a there's a, a strategic there. They have the Texas markets. They got the Florida markets. That's that's not just TV. It's recruiting too. Let's not lose fat, you know that aspect of it. Um, so that under those premises, look like you're not a you and I. The, the only thing I think the only thing that you and I really disagree on is Charlotte. I actually like Charlotte. They're four and two this year. I think they're going to play UAB in the conference USA championship game. That's a program on the rise. Mike Hill is the AD. I think is an up and coming AD. They're, they're built facilities. They're spending money on facilities. They have a great market. I love that area. I think, Charlotte, sometimes you got to bet on uh, prospects, on ups, you know, upside potential. Where I do agree with you is I don't know what the upside is of Rice. I've been to Rice. That's a baseball school. Nobody cares about football there. There's one where I would have taken out. I would have liked to have seen. Let's just say the Sunbelt is not an option. I would have gone with a Marshall, for example, or, you know, you know, what's funny here, Drew, if we, if this I would have was gone with Marshall too, I would have gone with Marshall over rice. Uh, and I agree with you on that. I think too much is made of the markets. That's where I disagree with Mike. I think too much is made of college sports is not based on big markets. It's not, not it's not the majority of big markets don't care about college football. They don't. Um, well, number, that, that, that varies. That varies. The thing is, the schools themselves usually are not in those big markets like Houston. Houston is a Texas market. Texas, you know, University of Texas is not in Houston. Well, New York, like Tulane, like Tulane, which I was amused that Tulane's all angry about this. Like, look, guys, you're part of the problem, to be honest with you. Uh, they're in New Orleans, but they're not. It's an LSU market. Um, Birmingham is the big market in college football. They watch everything. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. Uh, but I do think Charlotte has upside. I would have gone with a Marshall. You know what's up? But I said, why it's ironic is if this was going on 11 years ago, Drew, you know who would have been a team that would have been a lock for the oh, American? Southern Miss. Yeah. And, and well, I think they that's, they were a great football program when they had Larry Fedora in company. Um, and they have great tradition there. It's just funny how timing is plays out in all this and how short, you know, short memories we have or short time, you know, attention span because – UTSA, you could argue, is only benefiting from this year. Like, it seems like it's a bandwagon move. Oh, they're top 25 right now. Let's grab them. They're in Texas. It may not be true, but it seems that way. It, um, it does. It does seem that way, but that that was part of that whole Mountain West uh, boxing. They're trying to box them in. Yes. And and, and from that to, okay, I get where they're coming from that. Uh, I, I still disagree on Charlotte. You're taking a flyer on FAU. Um, you know, you're already kind of doing that at that point. I would have stuck with four teams. I agree with you on two, that. I agree with you on that. Become a bit of bit of potential dead weight. Uh, I think Florida Atlantic um, will probably jump above South Florida. They've got 
better facilities. Oh, oh, think man. about it. Think about it. They've got better facilities. They've got better leadership. They've invested more. Uh, they've got a great athletic director who's related to some guy who used to be here. Uh, uh, you know, Danny White's brother, uh, I believe it was uh, Mike White. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know he has a, another brother who's a, a coach at Florida. I sometimes get the Mike White's the Florida coach, actually. So okay, then it's is it Brian White? Uh, yeah, I think that's the uh, the answer there. How do we not Brian White? That's correct. Brian. Brian. Okay, I, I get the two. A lot of Whites, that. man, in that family. A lot of Whites, but but Brian White's done a, a good job there. He's specifically following the UCF model. It works. It's worked, and so uh, they're they're following that. So while there's they're still on the you know there's a it's still a flyer because I'm they could fall on their face. I think they will end up being the best program out of the state of Florida. Uh, within just a handful of years, once they switch conferences, uh, Texas is always strong. They're mitigating their losses there, and you know the, the team, the conference offices are there. You know you're losing Houston, who's doing really well. There's a possibility that SMU can one day move. Uh, that that's a, a future play. Okay, I understand that. I mean, UNT, it's a 50-50. They've been yeah, I'm not a solo North yet. Texas. I, I mean, again, I'm just defending Charlotte because I've talked to people there. Mike Hill used to work at Florida. They're building the facilities up there. That, that's got a lot of promise. I agree. North Texas Rice, I think, are very questionable uh, yeah, what their I'm, long-term I'm, deal there. I'm, I'm easier about North Texas than I am about Charlotte just because North Texas has done something. Charlotte, it's it's a, it's – even more so than FAU is a complete flyer. They've had one winning season in their entire program history. Uh, and, you know, 10 years ago, they didn't even have a football program. It, it's been gone since 1948. So a whole new program comes. New out, program. That's right. 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 Uh, you know, co- comes into, you know, comes into fruition. They join, uh, you know, conference USA and they had one year with seven wins. I mean, that's their best season. You know, we talked about comparing them in coastal Carolina you know, when we were talking and Coast Carolina did a lot, you know, when they were in the FCS level, that's partially what pushed them up. And yeah, there is an adjustment period in between, but uh, they've shown more success. And while I know Sunbelt's not touchable, uh, Charlotte hasn't done it. It's it's all based on faith. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll stock. We'll put stock on that for now. Uh, the good news is it's not our problem. Yeah, not our problem. And, <laughs> hey, 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 we're moving hey, hey, on. Hey, and, and and JP, because you know, we, you know, we talk. Uh, I give this expansion a big thumbs down by the American. I know he thinks we're like a rescue apologist here. All we've no, done, we've defended him. I yeah. liked the Mountain West attempt because yeah. uh, it was it was thinking outside the box. It was more of an offensive move than a defensive move. It was a long shot. It failed. They moved on. Uh, but I actually liked that move. If it worked, that would have been the coup. But I, it is what it is. And this as I tweeted, USA raid, right. <laughs> but here's the thing: at the end of the day, as I tweeted out, it's not like Notre Dame is available to come here. All right, I think people are acting like, oh, you know, I don't know what people were thinking he could get. Like we could disagree on certain things, but it wasn't like they were going to get this big fish. All right, no, and, not I, at and, all. I, and I think not that's unrealistic. No yeah, and I think no that chance. part, that part, I think is unfair. We could critique the selections. I agree. I like the Sun Belt selections but again i think the broadcast partners had a lot to say about and, that and i think what it comes down to i think espn said hey if you go to conference usa only we'll maintain the pay here for the yep. for the remaining eight and we will will increase the amount by x and two three million dollars per school that you would give these other guys right 
and and maintain the rest of it. And, uh, and I think I think correct. that's what it came down to because otherwise there was already provisions in place to renegotiate the contracts. Correct. Down. Correct. And I think that's partly what it comes down to is they were just trying to save their own skin. Yes. And and, and, and I will defend the league in this. Everybody keeps talking about the long term deal. If they don't have this long term deal, who's to say they don't get destroyed like Conference USA just did? Oh, they would get gutted. Right. Um, financially. Yeah. At yeah. this point, say say their contract ended in 2025. <laughs> they would be in trouble. So oh, I actually man. think that's why the long term deal, and I know people hated it, is going to save this league, whereas Conference USA is not probably in serious and danger. You compare the Mountain West the and, and Conference USA's television exposure to the American and the Sun Belt to a lesser extent. And those two ESPN properties blow the other two out of the water. It's not even close. Oh, yeah. Ask Boise. Their numbers have plummeted since leaving ESPN. Plummeted. Oh, absolutely terrible. And I think that's something to keep in mind as we get into Big 12 they go TV deal. I still think it's important that ESPN's a part of that deal. I think they will be a part of that deal. I found it amusing that um, Bob Bowlesby was part of Big 12 Media Day, uh, Women's Basketball Media Day. You know where that aired? Where? ESPN Plus. Hmm. Somebody, well, I mean, they're still they're still partners fences. for now. So I'm I mean, just saying. I'm just saying. There's some mending fences going behind the scenes. Oh, oh, totally, without oh, a doubt. Right. Um, uh, yeah, then they're 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 kissing and making up, and and there'll be some dollars that change hands, and everyone's going to be happy as a result. All right. I think. Remember that that was before they did the expansion to to retool and everything, and everything was kind of in freak out mode. Yes. So he just kind of freaked out. But I agree. let's say uh, just to put a bow on it. I give the AAC expansion to CUSA a lovely high grade of D, as in delinquent. I, I'm not a teacher. I don't grade. I just did this segment. This was a segment tribute to Jeff to getting better. He, we touched on two subjects he loves, realignment, speculation, and space game, space jerseys. That's what he loves. So hopefully that made space him feel game. better. There you go. Space games there. Uh, coming up. We're going to be joined by Memphis Spence, radio host, who Drew knows very well. You've, he's been on the show frequently. We'll give his perspective on the realignment as well as this Memphis-UCF game. Then later, I will address some of the big questions with the UCF Olympic sports as we head down the stretch there in some of their major uh, sports, including postseason aspirations. You're listening to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back here to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Eric Lopez alongside Drew Glukoff. And Drew, we got one of your closest friends joining us here to talk more about this Memphis UCF game. Well, I mean, it's only fitting. If you're going to have a game with Memphis, have a guy who knows Memphis to come on board and start talking. Uh, Memphis Spence from Sports Radio America. Welcome to the show, man. It's The tables have turned. Man, it has been a pleasure, man. Eric, Andrew, thanks for bringing me on. The tables have been turned. Uh, you know, this this used to be a oh no, here comes UCF. Hopefully, <laughs> oh, can we get can we get close this time? But now it's we might actually beat UCF. There's there's a we beat them last year, but that was a COVID year. Was that a fluke? Let's see. Let's see if it, if Silverfield can pull this off. The well, reset button has been hit <laughs> in more right. ways than one. <laughs> yes. Of course, Memphis Spence, uh, radio host, program director. He does it all Memphis alum. And, and le- I want to ask you about this team, Memphis team this year. What's been your thoughts so far? They're four and three on the year. I know they lost some personnel, especially the quarterback. But your thoughts here on the Tigers 2021 season to this point, kind of an up and down year. Very much so. Um, the the what we've and, and we didn't really expect 
too much coming into this year. This was supposed to be a rebuilding year until our expectations got heightened by beating Mississippi State. Once that happened, we were like, oh, maybe this isn't a rebuilding year. And then the next game was UTSA, and then we realized, yes, it was. Because our defense is lackluster at best. Uh, I don't think we've figured out exactly what to do with the pieces. Got a lot of young guys back there, uh, and uh, we can't stop anybody from scoring. We can even stop um, Arkansas State, honestly. And, and when Butch Jones comes in with Arkansas State, and he he always wanted to play us with Tennessee, they, they wouldn't allow him to schedule us because that's a, that's a completely different conversation for another day. Uh, but he did schedule us with Arkansas State, and, uh, you know, he came and, and he almost beat us with that squad. So we knew our defense. When our defense was giving up 50 points to Arkansas State, we were like, okay, yeah, we need to do something. But we pulled off the Mississippi State win. Uh, some terrible SEC officiating is probably why we, we won that. Uh, but, uh, you know, that it's, it's, a, it's a rebuilding year with expectations just because we beat Mississippi State. We're like, okay, we can get to a bowl game, maybe a respectable one. And uh, that's, that's the way this year is going. I didn't think we would even be eight and four this year. I think I picked us to be fourth or maybe fifth in the conference. Uh, but who knows? Who knows? With, with, with UCF, I've, I, I didn't expect UCF to lose to Navy. So I look at that and I say, oh, well, maybe, maybe we, can beat, yeah, we can beat Navy. Maybe we can beat UCF and end up third in this conference. Uh, I don't think we'll, we're no match for Cincinnati, and I don't know who would be other than uh, SMU. But um, maybe, maybe, you know, we can go to a respectable bowl game this year. That's so probably you- you, you look at, you know, you talk about those losses. All those yes. losses were close losses. Yes. Uh, they're, they're all, you know, w- within a score. Uh, that becomes a 50-50 thing. Uh, obviously, one of those to uh, UTSA, who's having a magical run at this point, I believe 7-0. and Great for the first time ever. Yeah. Uh, where do you see, and when we reviewed those, when you reviewed those games, where was the, the area that, that kind of, that 50 50 side that went the wrong way, you know, what area of the team, you know what I can, I can see that was where the team failed to, to kind of secure things. Um, with the UTSA game, the road runners did something that I didn't, it was a game plan that I'm pretty sure Silverfield didn't expect either. Uh, they ran the ball, I think 48 times. Uh, maybe, maybe it was 50. But it was a record number for that university uh, of carries. And they really wore down our second, our secondary, our linebacker. We're thin at linebacker this year. We got JJ and nobody else. Um, and he really, he was making a lot of tackles. He was going back and forth uh, across the field making tackles. By the fourth quarter, it was, it, it, you know, we could feel it. It was like, man, this, this team's actually wearing down our defense. Um, defensive mistakes the entire year. The offense is fine. Austin's fine. Um, we're, the offense is going to be fine. Parham on the on the line. He's probably going to go to the NFL. Uh, there's there's very few issues with our offense right now, uh, especially and and that's considering we have a a, a rookie QB. But um, there is really no the, the all the problems that we have right now are defensive honestly, and, and, and mostly circling around our safeties. If you want to drill in on something, if you want to watch them, our corners are all right. 
if you want to circle our, our safety play has been, we need to do something there. Honestly. Well, you mentioned your offense. It's been dynamic and new quarterback, Seth Hannigan. This is a matchup of new quarterbacks. Not really what UCF were hoping for. We're preparing for, but Mikey Keene and Seth Hennigan, uh, young quarterbacks, and, of course, your skill position, guys, Calvin Austin. It jumps out, obviously, 857 yards, eight touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And a guy that UCF fans are way too familiar with. He's been there, I think, 100 years. Sean Dykes, like, is he ever going to yeah. graduate or one? Eventually <laughs> he will. <laughs> Holy macro. I'm not sure, exactly sure, uh, but but I know they got a free year for COVID and whatnot, but eventually he will actually graduate uh, and, and be doing something else. But yeah, the offense is fine. Um, Austin's going to, if, and you see, uh, well, correct me if I'm wrong. UCF usually has pretty good special teams on the cover side. So on Austin, the cover side, it's not bad on the kicking side. side yeah. <laughs> but you're going to, in, in this game, you're going to have to watch Austin because if he gets his hands on the ball, he has true four, three speed. Uh, getting a lot of, uh, um, you know, uh, scouts, a lot of NFL scouts are are like, hey, is it real? And I was like, yeah, it's real speed. It's real speed. You can see it. You can see him pull away from people and um, probably projecting around third round right now, third, fourth round uh, NFL draft pick. Um, but he's only one guy. And UCF has always had decent corners. Um we got four in the league right now, three in the league, four in the league. Well, they had three drafted. So the, the cupboard's a little quiet right now. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you've always had pretty good um, corners. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting a lot of zone, uh, a lot of uh, uh, three, two, six zone, probably uh, making sure that nobody gets that, that Austin gets, doesn't get behind the secondary. Uh, and taking away those deep threats because those deep threats are there. And we found out that Seth can throw those balls. We didn't know that coming in. We had no, we, we, like I said, this, no expectations coming in freshman, true freshman, you know, here's the ball. And all of a sudden, you know, rips off a couple of games, gets into the Mississippi state game. And we were like, Oh, wait a minute. This guy's not scared, you know, under pressure, he's making the throws. He gets to his second read a lot faster than most freshman quarterbacks. And if he, if we can keep him on his feet, he usually makes the right one as well. So I, I, I'm, I'm really impressed by, by his play this year. And I, I, this is going to be a really good matchup because I, well, I, in years past, I don't know now, but in years past, the defensive selections and defensive sets by UCF have really confused uh, our offense really confused our, our quarterbacks. Um, so this is going to be a really good uh, challenge for him. And, and we'll see whether or not he passes this. If, if Memphis somehow comes out of the bounce house with the win, I think Seth is on a different trajectory than we originally thought that he would be on at, 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 at this age. So you look at the schedule, obviously Friday is the game against UCF, but next week is yeah. a home you know, tilt against SMU. Yes. Do you think it's possible that the team may overlook UCF a little bit because they got the streak off, you know, that that's gone. The losing streak's over. Mm -hmm. The 13 games no longer exists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
you know, UCF having a bit of a rough year this year, unprecedented number of injuries in very key places. But SMU, top 25 team, undefeated, looks to be the number two team in the conference. Is there a risk, especially with, with a young guy running mm-hmm. the offense? Right. Do you think it's possible that they may be looking a little ahead for the bigger showdown at home versus this one on the road against a team that's been struggling? So SMU and Memphis have a – there's a grudge match there, like a real one. And, and Memphis hates everyone. It, it, absolutely. It's always Memphis versus everybody. That's how we say everybody. Um, but uh, there's there's really a grudge match between SMU because SMU's kind of – they have the tradition. In football, I mean, there's not really a football team in our conference that has more tradition than the Pony Express over there. I mean, they, you know, they have – I don't know how many Hall of Famers. We just put our first one in, uh, Isaac Bruce. Um, but, you know – I don't know how many Hall of Famers they have over there, uh, but they consider themselves the class of of the the league, even though recently they haven't, you know, recently has been UCF or Cincinnati. But historically, it's always been, you know, SMU uh, and, and what they used to do until, you know, the, the, the death penalty kind of cut off uh, all their supply, their 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 financial supply there. Um, that being said. I know that they they're they're in a position now where they want to stomp our brains out because of a couple of years ago when we went to the Cotton Bowl, they felt that that should have been them um, because we I think that was a game day. I think there was a college game day SMU and 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 Memphis there in Memphis and they came in uh, with expectations of leaving with the win and uh, it got. It, it got ugly very quick. Um, and unfortunately, you know, somebody has to win that game. Now, I know there's bad blood. The, 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 the team that we have the most bad blood with, honestly, is Cincinnati. Um, but there's a lot of bad blood there with, with SMU recently. And uh, I don't think Silverfield's one of those guys one day at a time. Very unlikely that he overlooks UCF for SMU just because recently you know UCF has been the class of the 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 conference really uh so I don't I don't think he overlooks it is he already planning for SMU yes yeah so you know that not an overlook but I'm sure Silver Real is planning for us I, I do want to point out real quick for for those listening that that there is a connection between Ryan Silverfield and UCF mm-hmm. he did have a two-year stint there as a graduate assistant under George O'Leary 2006, 2007, obviously two times they beat Memphis mm-hmm. and UCS first conference championship in 2007. So there's, there's at least a connection there, which I, I think, you know, adds a little bit of, of, of fun to it. Cause I, I don't think Absolutely. there's anything personal, but uh, you know, he was a grad assistant kind of working his way up, but it just adds a connection to, to, from the school to, to. It's hard know, to hate team. Silverfield. I mean, he's just a likable guy that says the right things. Um, he tries not to, even though he, he has his own set of coach speak, you know, it's not like Norvell or, you know, it, cause Norvell, there was a, there was an edge to him. Silverfield, he's really, you know, um, uh, you know, salt of the earth type of dude. Um, and I don't, you know, that, and, and maybe that's why Norvell never beat UCF. There's all, I think UCF just got in his head uh, because it's not as if he didn't have the personnel. 
I mean, some of those 2017, we had the personnel to beat UCF. We just didn't do it. Uh, and, and, and same thing. I mean, it was just one of those uh, UCF had the personnel to beat us and they did it. And, and, you know, that's, they did it twice that year, as a matter of fact, uh, once for once during the season, we were talking about that. I think it was like 40 to 13. Yeah. Uh, and, beat down. and then, you know, the, the 62 to 55 championship game, that was that, which was a, it's still a classic in my mind. I mean, that may have been one of the best games that I watched all year that year. So, uh, but yeah, Silverfield's a, Silverfield's a nice dude. He's very down to earth, very focused, very, very focused individual. I want to ask you about your running backs because you guys have become running back you i mean you've got antonio gibson in the nfl yep. tony pollard yep. is doing great with dallas there among others uh gainwell's now in philadelphia kenneth Philly. Gainwell. Yeah. i remember d'angelo williams i covered d'angelo he's williams still, he's still getting it yeah uh what about this year's version who's the next one uh for uh, Memphis this year? Thomas. talk about your running game um well it, it all actually it all starts behind the line and that's one of the things that that secretly we've been actually upgrading every year. Uh, Parham is doing a really good job on that line. And Thomas is just going to, Thomas is probably one of the dudes that he, he's just, he waited for the right opportunity. And, and, and there's a lot of guys that, that, you know, um, are just waiting for the right opportunity, waiting in line uh, to, to be a feature in that backfield because of what that we've been doing these past few years. Uh, it's no secret um, that we're going to run the ball. I mean, I think everybody knows that we run the ball to set up the pass, to set up the deep passes. It's a, it's whether or not you can stop that. And there are very few teams that have the personnel that can actually stop the zone blocking that's going on uh, on the offensive line. The benefactors are just the running backs. If you've watched any 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 Memphis football the last five years, the running backs have huge holes to run through. If they're running off tackle, all three of us could get through the hole at the same time. Listen, listen, we I still mean, have bad memories of Daryl Henderson running all over you. Henderson, Seattle, right? yeah, he, Who's with yeah. the Rams now? I mean, and my Henderson, goodness. Yeah. 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 Um, he just scored another touchdown. <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, you're just running off tackle and you're like, man, he, nobody's going to touch him. Huh? Okay. That's yeah. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's, it's really the offensive line, which doesn't, and I like to give those guys credit because they don't get enough credit. Uh, but you know, they're the offensive line and, and what Silverfield has been able to do with that uh, has really been the, the class of, of, of the conference. And that's why you have a lot of guys that are lining up just to run behind that offensive line. Thomas is Thomas is who's next. We'll see. He has a unique set of skills. Um, kind of different from a lot of the other running backs that we have uh, closer to a bruiser uh, than anything else. So he's, he's hard to tackle in the fourth quarter because you just don't want to. And, and, and that's going to be uh, watch the end of the game and how Memphis has been winning games is really clock control. And he's been a, a vital part to that. And he's like, I have a certain set of skills. I will I find you and I will run you over. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> uh, he's, he's definitely, he's a monster back there. And uh, the, 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 the thing about him though, he's not as elusive as some of the other backs we've had. He's not as elusive. So early in the game when everybody's, you know, uh, all healthy and flying around the, the, the field, you won't see him break too many 
uh, runs off. That's usually when we're doing screens and everything else, trying to wear out the defense. It's in that second, second half, you know, third quarter where you're like, do I have to tackle this guy? I have to tackle this guy. And, you know, safeties get put in a position and corners get put in a position where they have to make a business decision. You know, like if I hit this guy too hard, I'm not playing the next game. <laughs> I'm out with an injury. Uh, let me just, you know, swipe at his feet or something like that. And that that's that's basically the way that we've been winning uh, a lot of these games. Is and, and the only team that this year that's actually matched that was UTSA, where they're like, OK, we'll we'll see your running game with our own running game and really out Memphis Memphis uh, in that game. That sounds like a future conference rival there to me, doesn't it, Drew? There. <laughs> oh, I'm just saying. you know they're okay. Uh, you know, I, they they earned our respect. They're okay. Uh, the other teams coming in, I mean UAB. Okay, there's history there. there, there I mean, this, but that and 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 correct me if I'm wrong. And, and from your point of view, that's the most complete program that's coming in is UABs. I think so. Uh, They've got the run market. down the teams that are that are that are coming in again. So you got UAB. You got, I've, I've been trying to, you know, not look at that. <laughs> you got UAB. You got the Blazers coming back. You got uh, Charlotte joining in. You got North Texas, UTSA, as they went Texas uh, Spurge there. Mm-hmm. Rice. Uh, oh. Yeah, that's a little rough. Oh, there's the face palm. <laughs> there's the, uh, that's, the, that's a tough one for you. The carbohydrate. Right. It's a good baseball program, though. Uh, yeah. And, and then Florida Atlantic. That's the other team. So those are your six. Rice has probably the most beautiful campus. I've been on their campus. Me for too. Me weddings. too. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's a beautiful campus. But um, sports programs. Uh, the Florida Atlantic, I guess, I mean, they have a good football program. Basketball, it's not good. I mean, none of these teams are basketball teams other than UAB, right? Um, and UAB hasn't really amounted to a lot since they were beating Kentucky, uh, Squeaky Johnson, and then we're beating Kentucky. Oh, Squeaky. Uh, I love Squeaky, Squeaky Johnson. I love Squeaky. Yeah. I covered him. That's back beating. in the Mike Davis days, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, the Mike Davis days, man. That, 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 that's back in the day. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's, you know, they haven't really been that much of a program. I guess they could be if, you know, they didn't have Alabama trying to shut them down. Uh, they could have been, you know, uh, a lot farther than they are. But uh, they're 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 on the rebuild. They have, a, I think, they have a. They did something to their stadium. They, they have a new stadium. Good. They got a new yeah. stadium, though. They're going to be yeah. good. They're going to be good. But but yeah. I I, I want to bring this up because you bring a great point here, and, and this is the thing that bothers me about all this movement. It's all football motivated. It it's is all uh, television related, like par- broadcast partners and things like that. That's right. Memphis, you basketball's been hurt by this from the Americans' perspective, and Memphis prides itself on basketball. That's what true. is what is the mood right now from a Memphis fan standpoint, not only about the teams that are coming in, but as a result of UCF and Houston and Cincinnati going to the Big 12, is there hope they can join later? What's the mood? So Cincinnati and Houston leaving is, for basketball, that's probably the worst thing this conference could see. I mean, they still have Wichita State here, but I mean, seriously, it was really, it was really us four kind of holding the mantle around. Um, that have been to Final Fours and everything else. Uh, the well, when UConn was in the conference, you, you know, UConn was uh, obviously the only one that won a championship from the ACC or the AAC. Uh, basketball is going to be this is Conference USA 
It's Conference USA. It's the Calipari era all over again. Basically. And except this time, you know, switch out coach, put in Anthony Hardaway, and it's Conference USA 2.0. Um, that being said, we didn't – I mean, Memphis – the thing about Memphis is it's kind of – I don't know how to explain this. It's almost impervious to whatever conference we're in because we've been in so many ridiculous conferences. I mean – from uh, the, the the great Midwest Conference, I don't know if you uh, the Metro. I mean, we've been I in love a the lot Metro, of, yeah. Remember the Metro? This is kind uh, of becoming Metro 2.0. If you think, about I mean, almost. Well, no, there's not really that great. No, there's no Louisville, Florida State in there. Exactly. No George McLeod. You know, Come no, on, now. <laughs> right? So, um, you know, the the Metro was a really good basketball conference, and that's when basketball was kind of running things. Um, uh, the Great Midwest uh, Conference USA. Mm, it started off well, but then when, you know, uh, Cincinnati and Louisville took off to the, the, the big East without us, we were like, well, wait, so, so from our perspective, we're always the ones left behind. We're used to this because of that. We're probably one of the only programs that have a deep enough pockets to survive nonsense like this. I mean, we're talking to, I mean, there's three, Fortune 250 companies right there, AutoZone, International Paper, FedEx, and all of them have deep pockets and a lot of money in our program. So we're fine. Booster wise, we're fine. We're not going to really we're not going to really suffer too much from from uh, the, 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 the the program's kind of insulated from, you know, uh, whether or not we have any conference revenue coming in just because we've kind of built our our program around. Hey. What happens if nothing happens? Let's go after these big pockets. Let's make sure that they're, they're heavily invested in our in our program. And that's kind of how that's also why we don't really have or we don't really plan our own, our own facilities. I mean, you know, um, when I was when I was there, the pyramid, I was still watching games in the pyramid. Now it's a Bass Pro Shop. And, uh, you know, but it, now it's a, we're playing FedEx Forum. We're always playing in something else and we're, you know, leasing or contracting out uh, other things other than our own facilities. Uh, because that's just kind of how we built the program. We built the program to kind of be like mercenaries, just the mercenary uh, uh, team just to go around to jump from conference to conference, because that seems like the life cycle for for Memphis. Uh, let me make one quick clarification before we wrap things up. Sure. When I mean the Metro 2.0, I mean like comparing Coca-Cola versus New Coke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh. Unbelievable. Oh, all right. Bro. Well, all right. Well, we hope you, you'll be joining us in the Big 12 down the road. But that's, you know, we could spend hours on that. For now, let's focus on the present. Uh, we got probably you'll co- go to the ACC. Oh, oh, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> we probably will go to the ACC. All right. that's, I know that's where a lot of the boosters want to go. La- last thing we got by about two minutes. Your keys to the game is what? UCF will have to hold Memphis under 200 yards rushing to win this game. Period. We've been winning games with ball control um, late in those third quarters, fourth quarter. It's been nothing but ball control and then Seth throwing over the top. It's worn out defenses. UCF is usually the most or the best condition defense we usually play every year. So I don't expect them to be worn out, but I'm not sure if they have the personnel to actually continue to tackle Thomas throughout that, that, that fourth quarter. 
But if you if if UCF wins, they've held Memphis to under 200 yards rushing. 62 and a half points over or under. Ooh. <laughs> There's a good one. I'll take the under. It's a night game. I'll take the under on that. All right. I, I feel you on that. Very yeah, good. That. Very good. All right, Memphis Miss, tell the audience where they can find you and your great content. Uh, you've had Drew on your show many a times, and uh, we certainly appreciate that. Tell the audience where they can find you. Sports Radio America. It's our 10th year anniversary. Uh, we've we've done – we've over there, we help raise up broadcasters directly out of uh, communications programs and in different college universities around the nation. Uh, I've been trying to spearhead that and have been the, the leader of that for the last eight years. And um, that's that's where you can find all of my content. Uh, noon to two Eastern, Monday, through Thursday, still do a live streaming radio show. Uh, and a lot of, you know, I, uh, there, there, there are some boosters that, that actually have uh, – some net worth behind them that, that still definitely tune in and listen to that show around the nation. So come check it out. It's a lot of, it's a, it's, it's, it may be boring. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a boring guy, but I like to tell the truth and I like to get down to the nitty gritty and a lot of subject matter. Well, we, we uh, found you not boring. No, <laughs> no, we're, we, we are excited. To, kind of boring. We uh, we're glad to have you on and we'll try to get you back on maybe during basketball season. Cause we got to yes. definitely get it hardcore into the basketball season, but absolutely. Uh, in the meantime, enjoy the game on Friday night, best you can. And if you run into drew, then, uh, you know, feel free to do whatever you want to drew. That's all. Eric, yeah, drew, God, please uh, don't hurt me. <laughs> well, I don't know. We're, there's no hurt now. Now, now I will have to actually um, find my way over to one of your barbecues because I oh, am a brother. Yeah, connoisseur I of running. barbecue. Right now, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm Memphis Spence. I'm a connoisseur of barbecue. So I, I got to check out everybody's barbecue. Oh man. Uh, I'm, I'm still, I'm still learning the game. Uh, only, <laughs> only got, only did one tenderloin so far and there was things I could do better on it. So give me some time. Let me work some. Yeah. Listen, in, I've, I've been, come back. look, I've been to Memphis. You're going to be disappointed either way. You're right. You're, 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 I mean, I've been I'm there. Disappointed. I've been one of the things I'm going to miss here. I'm going to miss. You got to come back. You got to join the big 12. I got it. I uh, love going to yeah. Memphis. You need what are you going to send us yeah. Corky's sauce? Yes. Some Corky's. Oh, Corky's is great. Uh, Central barbecue. Mm. Mwah. Oh my Great goodness! Stuff, All right, now you get me hungry. All right, <laughs> well, well, that'll be that's Memphis Spence joining us here on the Black and Go Banneret. We'll come back. We'll wrap up this show. You're listening to the Black and Go Banneret podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. Welcome back to the Black and Go Banneret podcast. Eric Lopez here with you. Uh, Drew Glukoff taking the segment off. He's, done a, he's carried the load today, so give him a, a segment off. Let's talk some Olympic sports, some interesting topics here. Let's start with men's soccer. Men's soccer coming off a dramatic 2-1 to win against their rivals in Dallas at SMU. Huge come-from-behind victory for them on Saturday night. The Knights are receiving votes in the polls in men's soccer. They are 38 in the RPI. They're on top of first place in the American at 5-1 and one with Tulsa. UCF is 7-4 overall on the season. Tulsa is 5-1. Memphis and SMU are tied at 3-3. Three three. So there's a bit of a gap there for them. Huge win for the Knights to beat Tulsa and SMU back. They, you know, Remember, a couple of weeks ago, their RPI was in the hundreds. That's how quickly things could change. Uh, and they're back in first place. I looked at some of the men's soccer sites. They are projected to make the NCAA tournament. Them and Tulsa right now would be a two-bid league. Uh Tulsa has a great RPI. I think they're in the top 10. Big win for them. 
I think they've settled some things there in the goalkeeping situation for men's soccer. Uh, you know, Levine was honorable mention. Luca Dorados continues to have a great season. Ten goals on the year. Nick Taylor, who there's a feature on Nick Taylor on Black and Gold Banner at uh, right now dot com by Bryson Turner. In depth feature Nick Taylor. That SMU match was a return for Nick Taylor, who played at SMU and now is playing at UCF. Part of that big rivalry. Uh, Bryson did an in depth interview with Nick. Uh, as well, he talked to the coaches. Really, I recommend read uh, to read up on Nick Taylor there. But UCF's playing very well, and they're on top of the American Conference uh, as they get set to play Temple this weekend. And they got to keep the momentum going. You look at the remaining schedule for UCF men's soccer at Temple on Friday, host South Florida on Wednesday, October 27th, and then the big one, Halloween night hosting SMU, and then at Tulsa, November the 5th. Those last that could decide the regular season championship. And that is significant because whoever wins the regular season title will host the conference tournament. There will be no changing at the last minute of, hey, you can't host because you're leaving the league and take it away. No, no. Whoever wins the regular season will host the tournament. So that's a big stretch for UCF. Now, we spoke, obviously, with Memphis Spencer throughout the show about the American Conference and the news about them uh, realignment, adding six schools uh, from Conference USA. That impacts UCF, believe it or not. And that's because men's soccer situation, as far as their future, is still up in the air. Uh, the Big 12 does not sponsor men's soccer. So UCF would prefer to be in the American. That's what Terry Mahodger told their very own Jeff Sharon at the press conference when they announced that they were going to the Big 12. But that's not a guarantee. We don't know if they'll be able to stay in the American. Now, of those six members of Conference USA that the American is going to get, Charlotte, FAU, and UAB are the members that play men's soccer. So in reality, from a men's soccer standpoint, they will be up to three teams. So... But the interesting thing about this was when you looked at the UCF options prior to this, your thinking was either they stay in the American if they can, which is their preference. If they cannot stay in the American, Conference USA would be the next spot. They're basically neck and neck in RPIs. Uh, they're very strong league. FIU's had a great year. Marshall's the defending national champions in men's soccer. But there's a really serious question, and we didn't get into this with Memphis, Spence, or, or Drew later. We'll, we've got plenty of time for this down the road to see how it plays out, but does Conference USA exist in the next couple of years? What's going to happen to Marshall? There are reports, speculation that Memphis, for, uh, that Marshall, for example, could end up in the Sun Belt if the Sun Belt decides to expand. Southern Miss could join. So what I'm saying is you've got a situation here where uh, I think the big, the sport that's going to get impacted the most, and perhaps negatively, not just at UCF, but across the sport, is men's soccer. There's a lot of questions of where these schools. Now, remember, the Conference USA men's soccer includes members like Kentucky and South Carolina. Uh, West Virginia was supposed to join, is supposed to join as well. Those, you know, so in theory, UCF could join those teams and they could still have seat conference USA men's soccer, but it will look completely different. This is a developing story. And keep that in mind as this constant movement continues, because this will impact UCF in some ways, even if, hey, well, we're leaving for the Big 12. That's correct. But men's soccer, where is men's soccer's home going to be in the future 
is very, very important because that could impact this program. They're in a, on a roll right now, and this could derail it with the wrong, you know, if things go wrong. We don't, not saying it will, but it is something to monitor. And we don't really have a timetable. We haven't been told yet, you know, when this is all going to go down. I would assume a decision would have to be made within the next year on where men's soccer will be. Will they stay in the American? Will they go somewhere else? And if so, is it Conference USA or is it somewhere else? I, I don't, their options are not great beyond Conference USA, if Conference USA still even exists. And if they want to continue men's soccer, there could be a lot of movement as far as conferences are concerned. And it'll be interesting. You would think the American would want to keep UCF. It's a good brand in men's soccer. They have other schools and other sports. Like they have Florida, for example, and lacrosse and things like that. But to be determined on that. So that's the latest on men's soccer. Women's soccer, as we move over to them, they are returning. They're receiving votes. They had the bye last week. They're 6-5-1. and one. They will be at East Carolina on Thursday. And then we'll be hosting Temple on Sunday. And then we'll finish the regular season at Cincinnati on October the 28th. In my opinion, these are three must-wins for UCF. The, they are, the room for margin is thin. Their RPI is 41. Now, I think they are still in the tournament. In fact, Chris Henderson, uh, who covers some of the people that cover women's soccer in depth, uh, a lot closer. Chris Henderson being one of them is the guy I got to go to. Uh, he goes in depth. He's at under, Chris underscore AWK. Is the one of the best in covering women's soccer. We've had him on this show in the past. In his latest projections, he has UCF among the last teams in. He's got four teams in from the American. The American has never had four teams in. UCF, the thing they have going for them, because we had a question uh, people asked me about this uh, uh, on social media about UCF, about their chances to make the tournament right now. Here's the thing they have going for them. They have a win against Ole Miss, who's in the top 10 in RPI. They have a win against Penn State, who's in the top 15 in RPI. Those are two strong resume wins. They also have a draw against SMU. To me, if they win out and win their last three games, they're, they're going to make the conference tournament under that scenario. They would, uh, top six, remember, make the conference tournament right now. Now, UCF currently won three and one in the league. Uh, if you look at the sixth spot, it's Temple at two and three. But again, UCF had a front-loaded schedule. They got to win out. They got to win out, though. If you win out, likely you'll be in the tournament. I think that would be good enough. But if you slip up, if you slip up in one of those three matches, you may have to get to the conference tournament final. That is how thin this is. Because the problem is the three opponents that UCF has left do not have great RPIs. And if you drop one of those, that will hurt your RPI and probably keep you out. Memphis likely to be in, SMU likely to be in, South Florida likely to be in from women's soccer. Although South Florida is a bit of a bubble, you know, who knows? But, you know, I think if you look at the women's soccer picture in the American, that is something to monitor. They have to win. You can't, no room for error. Again, Ole Miss number six in the RPI, Penn State 14, SMU 21. That's good results for UCF. Uh, South Florida, by the way, 30 in the RPI uh, currently. Memphis, 39, UCF, 41. So those are all good numbers. But again, look at the upcoming opponents, some of the other members in the league of note. East Carolina, 67. All right. You've got Cincinnati, 73. 
And this is the one that really hurts. Temple, 155. If you don't get a win against Temple, you're going to drop RPI just by playing Temple because that's how flawed the RPI is. You could play a team like Temple and win 800 to nothing, and you're still going to drop because they hurt you from an RPI standpoint, from a schedule strength standpoint, etc. But you must win. Heck, a cancellation of that game would not be the worst thing in the world, to be honest. But if you lose, if you do not get a win, if you play and don't get a win, if you get a draw or a loss, that is tough. So they must win that game. They must win all these three, in my opinion. You win these three matches if you're women's soccer, and I think they're in the. I think there there's more room for error. They would get a. They would likely be in the top six in the league. Maybe host the first round of the conference tournament. You get a win there. You're probably in. You lose one of these th- next three matches. You could be on the outside looking in. So very, very critical next week for the UCF women's soccer team and their aspirations for the NCAA tournament. Uh, Speaking of aspirations, volleyball. UCF coming off a sweep against Temple on the road, 3-0. Yet, despite that, UCF goes from being a 19 in the RPI to 28 in the RPI. You're like, well, that's kind of crazy. Well, part of the problem, just like I talked about with women's soccer, it's the quality of opponents. And the thing that's hurting UCF right now in the American is there's no team in the top 50 in the RPI currently other than UCF. The second best team in the American RPI-wise is Wichita State at 55. That's a problem because you're not going to get quality games versus other teams in front of you. For example, a Miami, who's 15 in the RPI currently. A Florida State, which is 21 in the RPI. Hypothetically, we've been through this. UCF's chances of hosting are pretty much a long shot at this point, even if they win out, because they're just not going to get enough wins, uh, quality wins in conference at this point. They would have to basically win out to have a shot. As a result, if they don't host, they're going to be on the road, probably at Miami, probably at Florida State, And you're probably going to have to play Florida in the first round unless Florida gets hot and maybe host. Maybe some teams get shipped out of the state. But that's the thing. UCF right now looks like a team that's going to be on the road for the NCAA tournament. The good news is they are one game up in the standings. Houston was upset by SMU last weekend, which actually hurts UCF. That's the other reason why UCF dropped in the RPI, because Houston was in the 40s when they beat UCF a couple weeks ago but was upset by SMU. And as a result, Houston dropped to 63 in the RPI, which hurts UCF from a quality loss standpoint. So I know it's complicated, but this is why I've been very outspoken to the other sports. Men's and women's basketball got rid of the RPI. They went to a net system. Uh, They went into quad systems, quad one, quad two, quad three, quad four. Quad one was quality top. I think it's like one top one to top 50 or whatever. Quads twos. You basically endorses you to play as many quad ones and quad two games and avoid playing quad four games, which are teams like in the 150s and 200s. Try to keep it as less as possible. They just do different variations. You're not going to get punished in in the net system by playing a team uh, by beating a team in three sets. That's what they're trying to avoid. And my question is, if basketball, men's and women's, believes that the RPI is not good enough for them to, to help them select the field in the tournament, why should the other sports, volleyball, soccer, uh, baseball, softball, you name it, why do they think the RPI is good enough for them? So that's the thing that's very frustrating from that standpoint. 
but it's still here, and they're still going to use it. And uh, we shall see how they kind of unfolds there from that standpoint. As I mentioned, volleyball, they will continue their four-game road trip after the win against Temple. As they will be at SMU, who I just mentioned upset Houston last weekend, and then they will be at Memphis on Sunday before returning home on October 29th to host Tulsa. The good news for UCF is after this weekend, if you look at the schedule, uh, they've got six of their last 10 matches at home. So they're, in fact, six of their next eight will be at home before they finish the regular season on the road at Houston and Tulane. So again, this team trying to go for a four-peat, just like men's soccer. Now, for more updates on UCF Olympic sports, make sure you check out blackandgobanneret.com and Bryson Turner's weekly uh, article, Nightcap, where he breaks down all the UCF Olympic sports. Make sure you go there and read up on some of the other sports developments, not just the sports we've covered on this show. We covered, he covered women's tennis, hosting ITA regionals, men's golf, Johnny Trevally having a successful run uh, at, a, at a tournament. Finishing runner-up, cross-country coming up on the horizon uh, as well. He covers all of that as uh, men's uh, golf was in Islesworth cross-country, finished their regular season. All those details are on Nightcap, which you can read on blackandgobanneret.com. Make sure you check that out. Make sure you check out Drew Glukoff, NFL alums, Matthew Wright, big week beating the Dolphins with two big field goal kicks. Now the starting kicker for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Good for him uh, at the Dolphins' expense. Make sure you check out his work there. He'll also have the knee-jerk reactions Friday night after the UCF Memphis game. We will be on the air night shift after the game on our YouTube page. Make sure you subscribe there and like us on YouTube with me and Bryson Turner. We hope that maybe have a special guest for that show. We'll see, uh, but we'll be on afterwards. Uh, Drew will be at the press box covering the game. He'll write his knee-jerk column after the game. That'll be on blackandgobanneret.com as we cover the Memphis game uh, there as well. Make sure you follow us on all the social media platforms, including Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret, and like us on Facebook as well, uh, to say the least. So that should be a lot of fun. And uh, again, UCF underscore Banneret, where you can follow us on Twitter. You can like us as well on Facebook. All right, that will do it for this edition of the Black and Go Banneret Podcast. Thanks to Memphis Spence for joining us on this edition, as well as Andrew Blukoff. And uh, I'm Eric Lopez. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Black and Go Banneret Podcast.